Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. The PK Podcast is a weekly conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights in the promotional products business. I'm Bobby Lehue, and as always, my co-host Mark Graham is on the horn. Mark is sitting in Toronto. You are in Toronto today, right, Mark? I, I am. Yes, I'm here. I'm here. Thank you, Bobby. And we You're are, in Oklahoma, right? Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. which, where you should be, man. This is the place. And I'm. Hey, we're also... T- go ahead. No, I was going to say that I have wanted to come to Oklahoma, yeah. and you have always refused yeah. my, you know, my, my inv- uh, inviting myself. So I, I tell you, it's just... <laughs> I don't think we can handle the gram. I don't think we can handle it here. Well, today we are honored to have as our guest, and I really do mean that because this guy uh, knows a lot about this business, has been involved in many different aspects. Not many people can say they've been involved in as many aspects as this guy has, but we are thrilled to have Dale Denham, the Chief Information Officer at Geiger, joining us. And Dale is in Auburn, Maine, right? Dale? You got it, and I'm uh, thrilled to be here and happy to be talking with you guys after hearing everybody else who's gotten to talk, so now I get to have other people listen to me, which I love people listen to me. My kids don't listen to me, but... Right. So for our (laughs) listeners, if you're just tuning in, we're continuing our conversation, Tech Meets Promo, and we're visiting with the sharpest minds in regards to technology and the promotional products business, and I'd like to kick off this conversation today with a question that we left... Um, for the panel that we had, panel discussion we had in January was about technology and the promotional products industry. And you might recall this, Dale, but after the meeting ended, we actually had one of the best questions and conversations of the entire hour. So I regretted that we didn't ask this question earlier. It was my fault because I was the host. But the question was, five years from now, will the average buyer be using e-commerce far more? Well, is e-commerce going to become far more important to this industry five years from now than it is today? Um, I think without a doubt, the answer is yes. And we're talking, I mean, you, you're saying, and I'm talking the average buyer. Yeah, I, and I know that I'm um, more online than many people, but Amazon is just such a, and I hate using them as an example because everybody does, but they are such a huge force. And they just this week announced AmazonSupply.com where they're doing office supplies. And I don't see Amazon in the next three to five years getting into the promotional products business because it's really, really tough to decorate. But maybe they'll start selling blank goods uh, on, you know, as far as wearables go. But when you look at my experience, we've moved a lot of our IT buy to Amazon for simple, quick telephones, uh, memory upgrades, things like that. And we're just so used to getting that instantaneous response and being able to return our order and see it online. So as people buy more and more online and they expect that interaction, they're going to expect it from us. And whether or not the sales process is all online the interaction that people are going to want to have paying their bill and seeing their order histories, all of that is going to be critical to be online. And I do think the shopping already is critical. If you don't have a website today, you you survive. But you need to at least have a shopping cart today where people can identify and brainstorm. Do you, what is Geiger doing now uh, to prepare for that? I'm obviously, you're, you're, you're always thinking, always moving pretty fast. So what kind of changes are you guys going through now that, to prepare for that in, in the near future? Well, we're actually in the uh, beginning stages of a Geiger.com overhaul, and one of the main things that we're having to deal with is how do we publish all the data that we get. And uh, from my days at ASI, this has always been a challenge, and and we're not going to be able to solve it overnight here at Geiger as well, but we're going to work with a much smaller subset of data and be able to get that more configurable. We already have online commerce 
through our corporate programs. So we deal with a lot of online business already. We have uh, an online website where you can conduct commerce already in terms of buying several thousand different dropship items online without interacting with anybody. And we expect to ramp that up significantly in the next two years and not just make it something that our corporate programs people can take advantage of or uh, that Geiger is just looking at, but really focusing on what Geiger always is focused on, which is our sales partners. How do we enable them to have the e-commerce experience so that they can do all the things they need to do to compete as the world continues to move this direction? You guys have what you call the Geiger Star Performers. Yeah, that's your preferred partners. That's the name for your preferred partners, uh, right? Well, and, that's and, actually the name of the products that we have okay. from our top. We, we refer to our preferred uh, partners as production partners. Okay. And so right. when you're building an online e-commerce solution, you're talking about, when you talked about the data, you're talking about getting that data from those particular suppliers. Have, did you kick around, I and mean, maybe you're doing this with a partner in the industry, like a Sage, like an ASI. Are you working strongly with someone like that to help translate that data to you guys for your new Geiger.com? Or is this pretty much you guys are driving that and working with each partner yourselves? I would love to work with a partner. And if there was anybody who could really get configurable data in a meaningful way, I would absolutely buy it from them because it would be cheaper than doing it ourselves. Unfortunately, no one, not me when I was at ASI, no one else in the industry that I'm aware of today is doing it in a way that is trustworthy, let alone able to configure prices properly uh, on websites. So it is a very manual process. And then there's, of course, even if somebody was doing it, there's a tremendous amount of marketing that goes on to say, well, you know, they price it at this, but we want to price it at that. And they call it blue and we want to call it sky blue. So it's not as simple even if somebody was doing it the way we would want them to be doing is just saying we're, we're done. But there is no right. service provider today providing e-commerce data. So even so for a big brand like, sorry, Mark, but what, for a big brand like yours, uh, you're dealing with that struggle. Uh, I, you know, I kind of thought for a much smaller brand like ours, we're dealing with that too. But I kind of thought, well, maybe it's, it's just that the partners, I mean, I think what's going on in the industry is that we've been saying this for some time, but technology is going to become a major differentiator, whether you're a vendor, whether, whether you're a supplier, or whether you're a distributor. And this is probably a prime example. If I've got clean data that I keep track of, I could make myself a great Geiger partner. Absolutely. And I think that if you look at a typical supplier's problem today, you've got uh, Sage, Distributor Central, ASI, and now Trade Only, all wanting data from you and, and promo marketing as well. So you've got five service providers all wanting data from you for their product databases, all in different formats, all expecting you to either pay them to key it in or key it in on your own. Yep. Then you grab somebody like Geiger, who as big as we are, isn't as big as ASI is or any of these other people. We're going to be behind them if the supplier um, prioritizes based on eyeballs. And so we'll only be really getting five or ten of our top production partners to keep us on top unless we work with other industry providers or distributors. And that, of course, creates its own set of complexities. So, yes, we're big, and yes, there are suppliers who are willing to do anything to make us happy, and we'll take advantage of that in certain cases. But you still have to design the system to make it easy for them. Right. And, and Dale, with, with regard to the probably two of the more well-known data feeds out there, uh, being uh, ASI and, of course, Sage, 
their XML products, do you find that the information is either inaccurate or not as customized to your expectations? Is that, is that the reason why you haven't jumped on uh, one of those products? It is both, but it's more the fact that you cannot uh, count on those to create configured pricing. So think about having an additional charge for anything. And the way their prices are configured, it isn't clear to be able to say, all right, based on this data, when you buy 300 of these mugs, you have to add a running charge or you have to add a setup charge. That is not inherent in their data, and that's required for a successful e-commerce site. Right, and if you're, if it's fine on the back end. If you're a professional distributor, you're going to, of course, know that information. But an end user is not, and that that's where I think it's really important to have that. Well, in fact, it might even say it. It might say in the text, "Add thirty cents per item," but sure. there's no logic where you can tell your software to force that into the shopping cart. And if a client sure. buys a thousand dollar order and then gets a three hundred dollar upcharge later, they're not going to be happy. Right. 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 I'm uh, I'm curious. Uh, going back to the, to one of the original things that was discussed is this um, this uh, e-commerce strategy that Geiger has, but then of course all the sales partners that um, have been running these very strong relationship-based businesses. And I'm interested, Dale, in your your opinion on this. That um, clearly it's important that strong e-commerce options are given to your sales partners to help them succeed, but how do you think uh, um, a more relationship-oriented Geiger partner that has been, say, in the business for 20 years, how do you think they're going to use the tools? How do you think e-commerce will really help them take their business to the next level when they're used to a more traditional approach? Is there a tension there? There's absolutely a tension for some sales partners, uh, but they are going to have that tension probably more so if we don't do what right. we need to do. So if you go out to see, if you call me today and I get calls from hundreds of vendors, not industry vendors, but IT vendors, every month I could spend all day, every day meeting with these vendors. And in general, I would much rather do my own research and find what I'm looking for and then meet with the ones that I care about. But when, if I were buying promotional products today, I would want to have an idea of what I want. And sometimes I just want to go out and buy it. And so if I have a relationship with you, I'm going to buy it from you because I trust you and because I know you're going to stand behind it. But I'm not going to go out of my way to do business with you if I have to call you to place that order when all I want to do is go online and say, based on the meeting we had last week, I want to buy the 500 items, the bags that you showed me. And you know, there's your quote online. I type in my quote number and say, yes, I want to order this. And so I think as long as we transition them in the, the right way so that we're, we're taking advantage of the way they sell today, which is using their relationship selling, and then yep. letting them extend that into an online sales process, yep. and largely that would be through the quoting process, and then showing them that on the back end it's reducing their calls because their customers can go in and see their order status as well as the history of their orders, I think they will embrace it with no problem. But we have right. to execute really well for that to occur. It sounds like, too, with a larger organization, commission conflicts could be uh, also an issue. Uh, maybe not so much from, from your vantage point, but if you're kind of the average rep out there, I could see a lot of head-scratching going on about how am I going to, uh, how is this technology going to parse out there amongst the whole large organization? Are, are you guys dealing with commission issues like that? 
Sure, we've had conversations as we've been looking at Geiger.com and how we're going to handle that. And I won't say that we, we've settled them, but directionally, we are a company founded on sales partners. So if the sales partners aren't making money, we won't make money. So we're committed to the commission structures the way they are today in supporting those. If you look at the amount of money we invest in technology at Geiger today, we provide sales partners with all sorts of things, whether it's from email to spam filtering, and the list goes on and on of the different things we provide. This is just another cost of what we provide. We, uh, through a, a relationship with ASI, we currently provide logo mall sites as well. They're not e-commerce enabled, so they're not meeting the need that we see going over the next three years. And mm -hmm. so we have to meet that need. So whether we spend money with ASI or with Sage, this is an investment we will be making for sales partners. And they're making the commissions today, and we just keep doing more and more for them to help make them more money. It's, it's a bit tenuous, isn't it, on the operations side uh, to be spending more and more. We all know we're going to be spending more and more and more on technology, yet we're dealing with the similar margins that we were a decade ago. And we're dealing with uh, an influx, a massive influx in the past decade with competitors. So it is, um, it's getting exponentially more expensive, and that's that's can be seem somewhat oppressive uh, but obviously if we don't invest in technology then we're not going to have another business to celebrate and be about in the next decade well mm -hmm. I hope our CFO is listening to this and I, I will say <laughs> I love Bob Blaisdell he's the best CFO I've ever had the chance to work with just in case he's listening <laughs> and uh, you know that is something the conversation we've been having is you, you are going to keep spending more money on projects it's not about hey, well, we did this, now all of a sudden we can sit back and relax. Fortunately, Geiger gets that, uh, not to play off our tagline, but nice pun, it, we man. really do know, yeah, thank you, uh, we really do know that we're going to keep spending money, and in the year that I've been here, we've spent a lot of money in capital as well as operational and making things better uh, so that we can do that. And this Geiger.com project that is going to benefit our sales partners and the way we work with our sales partners will make a big difference for their technology over the next two years, for the needs for technology. Mark, you guys are a similar operation to ours in terms of size and scope, and that's obviously a decision we, we, we wrestle with all the time. I think the both of us are of the same uh, attitude, you know, that obviously this is going to be a continual investment down the road. But let's, let's talk a minute and help these distributors that uh, might be running uh, 500000 in sales or, or a million in sales and less. Let's just say around $500,000. There's a lot of distributors that are running, making a great living, uh, running that type of revenue. What advice do you guys have? Uh, Dale, we'll start with you. And when it regards to technology. Well, there are lots of great service providers out there in the industry. We've named several of them. So you, you definitely have to be leaning on them and finding the one that works best for you. Uh, though I guess the quick answer to that is don't spend so much time overanalyzing each tool out there. Find what works for you and make it work for you because there are so many options available with technology today. You can overthink it all, and sometimes you just need to execute. So after you've done just enough research to know you're getting the right product for what your needs are, just pull the trigger and go. Good advice. You know, I think, I think as it relates to our business at Right Sleeve, I think the, you know, we've tried to, as much as we have invested in technology and have made that a cornerstone of our sales and marketing strategy, we've tried to almost... Um, make the technology invisible. And I think what I mean by that is that a lot of the people that we're working with um, are younger, say 20, 30-something buyers, and they're expecting a great technology experience, um, almost as though it's just it, it's like the air they breathe. 
Um, but at the same time, I think that what we've learned is that an overinvestment in technology, a pure focus on e-commerce and transactions and just making things hyper-efficient, as important as that is, I think to leave the relationship and the cultural side of the business uh, to, to underinvest in that at the expense of technology is a bad thing. And um, I think that's really interesting where... Uh, we started off, you know, say a decade ago, where the big rage was e-commerce, and e-commerce is still important. But you think about the whole social revolution that really hit us, say five, six years ago, and is a massive thing right now. You look at how the social side has really allowed us as distributors to use technology, but to really connect with our customers on an emotional level. And I really feel that when you've got a great technology platform and great e-commerce and you can allow for that convenience, but you couple that with this great uh, uh, technology that really furthers that emotional response and connection to your brand as a distributor, then you've got a winning formula. And and I think to sum up with my long answer to your question, Bobby, that uh, I think to not invest in technology is 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 a definite uh, no no over the next three to five years. But to under invest in the other sides of your business, the relationship side of your business, um, is also a big no no. And I think that that that's important to remind people about is that that real complement uh, between those two things. Abs- I agree with that a hundred percent, Mark. And and you know it's interesting, Dale. I was I was uh, uh, to give honorable mention to some great partners that you have, uh, you think about the pop shop as being this, this really uh, hi Brian, hi Sonia, if you're listening, you think about them from, from the standpoint of being a really creative distributorship that's come on board and they're obviously very tech focused, but they continue to invest in the emotional triggers uh, uh, in their brand that really makes them very unique. And I think if you were to say to a, someone like Sonia and Brian, and I don't want to put words in their mouth, listen, we've got this great e-commerce system. It's going to be transactions. You're going to have make money in your sleep. You don't have to worry about talking to your customers anymore. They would probably look at you and say, that'll kill our business. Um, so as, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I, um, I suspect that could be the case. Absolutely. I think if we move straight to nothing but e-commerce where there's no face or people relationship behind it, it makes it much easier for somebody to switch from Geiger to, any, to anybody else or from right sleeve. Uh, it doesn't matter. They, they can just switch because there's no relationship and there's no guilt of switching. What's, yeah. what's interesting, too, is that the larger brands that you think of as purely e-commerce – um, they are not purely e-commerce. A lot of their e-commerce is the doorway to gain a client, but then they actually revert back to um, consultative, relational sales building in order to increase the client's sales. So it's fascinating to me, as much as we're talking about e-commerce, um, for many of the biggest brands, it's really just the doorway of entry into what, what the traditional distributorship looks like. Well, and we, we, we talked about this a couple of calls ago when we were speaking with Eric from Essent, and I'll ask the question again of you, Bobby, that uh, I've always admired Robin from the standpoint of being a great just, um, 
that you guys have really built your business on a couple of things. Number one is uh, excellent creativity, fantastic relationships between your account people and your, your, your corporate clients. And then, of course, this incredible fulfillment operation that you have in the back end of your business. Um, but yet you have made the decision to go with a full shopping cart-enabled uh, e-commerce site. And, and I know that you haven't got that off the ground yet, but it would be really interesting to, to see where that goes. And I suppose the question is, um, how, how, what are your expectations, Bobby, of the e-commerce system that you're about to implement and how that will complement your existing business mix? Well, it's, it's not... Um it's not all that impressive of an answer, but frankly, I think that distributors that don't invest in a stronger shopping cart solution are going to lose clients. They're going to lose market share. And when you look at some of these large e-commerce providers, they're growing and they are going to continue to grow uh, because now, I mean, it's suppliers a decade ago were faced with the internet and, it, and they had to have uh, basically now they had all this expense in a catalog. And now they had to have all this expense in a web-based solution with all their product. And back then, if you guys remember, they're handing out discs as well. And I remember yeah. thinking, my gosh, their costs just uh, just tripled basically because you know they they might have reduced a little bit, not much, of their catalog production, but all of their advertising and marketing costs increased. And I think distributors in the same boat today and have been in the past five or six years that we are actually having to provide more. So we're late to the game actually. But I do think and uh, that. Um, we're, we are in danger of losing more market share. And as somebody said on an earlier podcast, I think it was uh, uh, Brandon Stewart, you know, we're getting older and our buyers are staying the same age. And so they're expecting these tools because they have these tools in their hands and at their desktop and they're wondering why their promotional provider doesn't have these as well. And I would bet if the two of you look at the amount of visits you make for calls to, to close a deal as well as the actual closing the deal and if you were able to, to statistically compare it to five years ago you would find what our sales partners are finding which is the customers don't want to see you they right. more and more it's a phone call if that often it's an email here's what i need you send them a quote and then you've never even spoken to them on the phone and you're getting orders so if you look we're actually already doing electronic commerce in, in that sense maybe it's <laughs> telephone point. electronic commerce but that's happening more and more now i don't sell every day you two do so you can talk to that but the sales partners we have are telling us that more and more it's they're in their office there was a woman i knew in florida who built a very successful e-commerce business and she has never gone to see a client and she has a lot of revenue and she doesn't have an online shopping cart that you can buy from as easily as we both we all think you should but she sold a lot of product that way and still to this day it doesn't go see clients so my question right. to the two of you is are you seeing that are you seeing less and less client visits than you did say three five years ago but sales still grow we we certainly are uh... in terms of seeing seeing less of our uh, clients and 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 uh, and uh, we've certainly seen very positive uh, growth and certainly the best year that we've had uh, um, uh, ever certainly this year in terms of trending, but at the same time we have also really made a concerted effort to uh, build relationships with our customers and whether they if they don't have time to see us that's fine but to still build those relationships with them and to do them virtually so I, I I would be I'd be reluctant to say that right sleeve is a place where people only email their orders in or they call them in and there's never any anything more than that there's there's a still a massive uh, investment in in building that relationship and I think that our customers have time for us 
Um, Bobby, I'd be interested in your answer on this as well. They still have time for us. They just don't want to have lunch with us or they don't want to play golf with us or they don't want us to go down and, and, and meet with them, but they want to hang out with us on Facebook. They want to hang out with us on Twitter or Google Plus or, or, or all these other channels. It's just their time. It's no longer in the office, but they still have time for people that they view as being key business partners of theirs. And I think Before it's Bobby answers, to- I, I'm curious though, does that apply to the when you're getting to the the actual ordering phase? I, I totally agree on the relationship side, but if yeah. somebody's looking to spend a thousand dollars on a brand promotion, that transaction typically is a lot easier than it used to be to have to go out more of and make all these pitches. It's a lot more virtual than it used to be. Oh, oh yeah, and if that's the case, I would say. 98% of our business from an order perspective is either transacted through our e-commerce platform that we have at Right Sleeve or done the traditional, like, uh, the order will be called in or will be done via email. Clients do not want to call you down to their office to go and say, here's what we want to, to, to order. So um, that's, that's more where I'm spend focused because the relationship piece, absolutely, and whether that is virtual or physical, yep. you have yep. to keep doing that and that's not going to go away. But yep. more and more when it comes down to the transactional side and the follow-up associated with that, people don't really want you to do more than be there when they need you. Absolutely. Bobby, go ahead. No, actually, I have nothing to add to this. It's absolutely true. 90 95% um, is of, of our business is transacted via email. And um, you know, 10 years ago, you're right. It would require you to sit down and talk with somebody about almost every project or at least get on the phone. But uh, certainly there were a lot more face-to-face visits out there. And it is interesting from a business development. You know, the business development pipeline in our industry, I often say, has been broken for a long time. Um, and it's really been fairly weak. And, uh, but we're, we value that face-to-face a whole lot more. So on the business development side, for sure, you've got to get out there. But, boy, most of the transactions now. I love to ask the question when I'm doing an ASRPPA class about how many people are uh, – basically emailing their client far more than they're using the phone and then right. you know we went from phone and fax to, to email the same transition is going to happen with the shopping cart i believe now the one exception to all of this rule though and, and uh, at least for geiger is when it gets involved in big ticket items right. and especially corporate programs when you're dealing with a corporate program that's a very long very in-face production that takes a lot of energy to close a deal and, and a ton of energy to execute that well. I assume that you right. find the same to be true. Absolutely. And, you know, the long-term sale in our industry is so far different than the transactional-based sale that we're used to that even yeah. when I do classes on uh, the company store, for example, to talk to people about a year to a year and a half close um, is, right. is astounding as opposed to a 30-day or a two-week or a, <laughs> a five-minute close. It's a completely yeah. different mindset. And, yeah. and requires a whole lot more consultative uh, opportunities than even yeah. the transactional-based business does. And I suppose, I suppose the beauty is that if you spend a year trying to close that deal, then, of course, it just runs itself for the most part beyond that, uh, so long as you've got the right technology in place. Yeah, that's, that is the beauty of the program businesses. You know, the average tenure, I think, of a promotional product client on a transactional side is, what, two years, 18 months, something like that. Yeah. I've, heard, I've heard different numbers. But, yeah, you're talking seven, eight, could be talking seven, eight, ten years with yeah. the program, um, five years. So it's, it's definitely different. Dale, I've got a question for you. Um, what Outside of e-commerce, because we spent a lot of time t- uh, talking about that, what technology trends have got you most excited as the CTO of Geiger? Wow, uh, that's, that's a pretty big question to answer. I'll, I'll say that 
One thing that I would really like to see someone do, Mark, I think it'd be great if Common SKU did this because I've said it a dozen times and I haven't seen anybody pick it up, but it's uh, too big of an investment, is with the, the, the amount of tablets that we're seeing out there today, yep. why there is not a killer presentation app from here, one here. of the service providers. Yep. Uh, you know, God bless ASI and Sage. They've got a product out there, and it basically mimics what you can do on a desktop. I personally do not want to do research on my phone or my tablet. I don't like creating a lot on my tablet. I, I play words with friends, and I play. I, I started playing that draw something game, but you want to talk about a waste of time. I can't stand that. But my <laughs> seven-year-old and I play, so that's fun with that. But uh, it's it's more of a consumption device, and, and I do create some things, and I love my Evernote. But man, if I were a salesperson, I especially with the new Retina display, why isn't there some really high-end presentation app out there from ASI or Sage or Trade Only or Common SKU? Somebody that just says, gosh, it would be so easy to take this semi-decent presentation on my desktop application and push it into somebody's tablet. To me, the tablet is going to be phenomenal for that relationship sale where you are still going and seeing in the client. Hey Mark, have I not been have I not been complaining about this for the past couple of years? How weak the presentation tools are in our industry? I mean, they're terrible. They're awful. And I've even sent you a couple of really pathetic things that I tried to do that bombed miserably because I'm so eager to adopt some kind of technology. Yeah. Because you've been out at those events and like yeah. uh, and you're talking with somebody and what a great way to showcase what you do. And I'll give you an example. I was at the Marketing Profs B2B conference in Boston, and somebody said, "What do you do?" Well, have my iPad. We have company stores. You know how sweet it was to be able to just swipe through a couple of these and go, we do this from concept to creation to delivery to the end user. Oh, my gosh. And yet we don't have that for the, for the transactional pace part of our business. It's a, it's a very big missing link. I'm, right, I'm glad you brought it up, Dale. The two well, things I tell people to do today are, one, take a look at Flipboard. That's like the be most beautiful presentation app on the iPad that's mm -hmm. there. And the other thing that's very simple and easy to do is grab great quality images and throw them into your, your uh, gallery of photos, and you can swipe through there. It's not what I want, but at least it gets through the, the basics today. Everybody else is overcomplicated and put horrible designs, and it's just not nice. Yeah, yeah. No, I see that as a huge opportunity. Uh, absolutely, Bobby. I was going to make fun of you when you say you complain about stuff. It's hard. To, it's hard to keep track of all the things <laughs> that you complain about. But you know, I kind of forgot about that one particular. <laughs> You weren't complaining enough, obviously. Right, uh, obviously not. But you know, like even even on, but this is, this requires a lot of management. But on a small scale, you could obviously do that with Flipboard itself and import your feed. Uh, if you're building case histories, and I, I I believe we're back into the good old case history days, but we're building stories now to help sell our our brand a little bit. You could actually do that on a micro but level. I I've built that already, and it's not it's. Not something that I would say more than the three of us would really want to do. <laughs> right. um, it's not that hard, but it's just, it should be easy. It should be look right. it up at Sage, click a button, and there it is. Right. I mean, that's the way it should be. So, but Mark, back to your question. Another trend that I think is really exciting but overhyped, so I, I hesitate to mention it, is, uh, and the word I, I will use is the one I don't like to use, but it's the cloud. And uh, I have a droid because I like the droid for my telephone. I have an iPad because I love the iPad. And I have a Windows PC. And yeah. I can access anything and everything either through Evernote or Dropbox. And that is just for the mobile salesperson, whether you're working from home or in the office or at a trade show or at a client. 
that is so important for people to be able to take advantage of and will really help operationally as well because then if we're making a presentation for somebody here and they're on their way to a client, it can be on their iPad when they arrive. So that's another trend that I think will be great for our industry. Yeah. Yeah. It's now, so now if we, if we talk about the trend, but then we dive into your experience at Geiger, um, I'm always interested in big companies that have been around for a long time and have a lot of the term I use is technical debt or like just uh, this 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 legacy infrastructure that they have to deal with. How does the cloud? I mean, the cloud. It's easy for smaller companies like Right Sleeve and Robin that um, can make a switch almost on a on a dime. Maybe, maybe you know I'm exaggerating, but you have Geiger with so much in terms of legacy computer systems has the migration to the cloud been difficult for you dale and and how, how do you do you have any advice for similarly sized organizations that have been around for a while uh, as they struggle with this transition well i am not one of these people who say we have to be all in the cloud in fact we have a very very good data center with tremendous amount of redundancy and backup and so we don't need to benefit because of the investment that we can make across. We don't need to benefit from having the cloud, but having the back, be able to back up into the cloud is great. Being able to have certain services. Uh, Sage and ESP are both in the cloud. They've been in the cloud. Sage was in the cloud before there was a cloud. Right. You know, so it, it's a lot of it is due to the hype. We think that there is things that we have to do. Our order processing system is on-premise, and it will stay on-premise, but we can back it up into the cloud. Yeah. Uh, and when I say we'll stay, for the, for the next few years. So we just focus where there's a benefit. And yeah. if you look at Dropbox, that's one of the things, whether you're a big company like ours or a smaller, mid-sized distributor, our sales partners are all independent, and they all do what they need to do. So we work with them very much the way internal IT works with our staff, which is the consumerization of IT makes it so that people can get whatever they want done, and we're here to enable that. So yeah. a sales partner needs Dropbox, we, we make sure they have Dropbox. So right. it's, it's a lot of little implementations in the cloud. I'm not worried about whether my ERP system is in the cloud or not. There's a lot of good reasons. If I were starting over today, I would absolutely do that. Um, right. But even then, I'm nervous about it in other ways. So if you're not in the cloud today, you shouldn't move to the cloud strictly for the sake of being in the cloud. There should be a compelling reason to move. Right. Uh, I've got I've got one more question. Just taking a look at the time here, but I always like to ask people: um, top two favorite must-have apps on your iPad, Dale? Go. Okay. Uh, well, Evernote for sure, and then I would guess uh, you know has to be Words with Friends. That's what keeps me in touch with my family and friends. So if you <laughs> yeah. if you count that, because you talk about relationships, I play Words with Friends with my dad, my sisters, my wife. <laughs> uh, old colleagues. I mean, it's it's all over. But uh, I actually just got on the Evernote bandwagon a couple of months ago, and it is a fantastic app. Uh, let me just pull up and see if there's another good business app that I would would say. I mean, well, I'm, I'm using all sorts all the time. While Dale's doing that, I got a few for you, Mark. I, of course, you know I'm an OmniFocus nerd. I love OmniFocus. Yep. Uh, Mr. Reader is a fantastic RSS reader. 
Yep, and for uh, RSS. one of the coolest journal apps. When you're you... a geek, if you're still reading RSS, by the way, <laughs> I know I can't <laughs> just, move. Just to be clear, there's there's not a lot of us that actually take the time to look at RSS feeds. So. <laughs> right. Uh, I, my last one. My last one's kind of fun. It actually has nothing to do with business, but it's great for keeping a journal day one, and it all syncs to uh, syncs to the iCloud if like I'm using a Mac. Uh, but you're right. It's beautiful. Everything's syncing down there uh, from from app to app, from iPhone to desktop to the iPad. It's really a cool thing and you know you're you're kind of geeking out when you see a symbiotic relationship between your apps and your devices they're using. It's kind of pathetic now that I say it out loud, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess you ha- I would have to go back and say Dropbox is the other um, yeah. app that, you know, because you, you just kind of need it there. Uh, so that would be um, at least on my iPad. On my phone, can't live without my Google Voice. All yep. my phone calls follows me. I get my voicemails transcribed. I can get my text messages there, and I get them on my iPad as well. So uh, that's another fantastic app. That's geek-worthy yep. right there. What about you, Mark? I was going to say, uh, if I was to pick two, um, Dropbox, absolutely. I think I was really excited that they had the uh, they introduced the uh, 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 Dropbox share, uh, the, uh, the links. Yeah. Uh, is really neat that uh, now you can send files as links and share them, and I just think it's so cool. It, it uh, now when I do my when I do these presentations, either for ASI or uh, some of the regionals, I'll have these fairly large uh, PDF presentations that people will look for afterwards, and you know they might be 15, 20 megs, and now I can just do it all via Dropbox, and yeah, hey, I get lots of free storage when people sign up. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, so that that would be very very hard to live without Dropbox, and then the other one is um, is, uh, is Google Apps, and and that's a larger app, and it's obviously more of more of uh, Microsoft Office. I think you're cheating. Three. That's not an app. <laughs> well, you know, I, I uh, come right. on, you're you're cheating I, I, now. I'm, I'm just defending the people who are not geeks in the room. They're going to go and go to the App Store and look for Google Apps. Right. And they're not going to find it. That's come on. Right. Well, okay, maybe that was my sly little. I want to sell <laughs> Google Apps to people, even though I have no interest in it whatsoever. So, uh, you know, the other one that I'm going to mention, um, and 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 this isn't so much from a business perspective. Um, but is is the competition to Spotify? An app called Ardio is phenomenal. So if you're asking what's on my phone, I listen to that all the time. Amazing user interface, ten bucks a month, and uh, absolutely phenomenal. And I, I actually prefer to Spotify simply because it's not available in my neck of the woods. So Ardio, fantastic. We- that's awesome. We've got a few minutes left, uh, really just a few. I, but I'm going to mention something because I want to give a shout-out to Eric's our e-commerce manager. He built an app called uh, Remarkable, and it's for listening to audiobooks but recording audio notes while you're listening to it. So it's fantastic if you're a business book. Idea. Yeah, it's a fantastic app. The thing's going to take off. Um, but uh, last words, um, why don't, Mark, why don't we go to you, and then we'll, we'll let Dale wrap up with the final word. Any final thoughts, Mark? You know, I, uh, I think that what what's really interesting in these conversations is maybe I'll just leave with a thought or maybe a question for people to consider is this this uh, this idea of what e-commerce will look like in three to five years and I think we have these really great conversations and we all agree that e-commerce will be essential to all of our business models in the next three to five years um, but I think the question that 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 I think about is what what is e-commerce in three to five years? Like, what exactly does that mean for the promotional industry? Does it mean end-to-end Amazon-style 
uh, e-commerce or does it mean uh, a customer being able to look the, uh, look up their order history? Um, does it mean uh, some sort of new type of relationship with a rep? Because we're not the book business. And I think that that's what I, I, I struggle with when we talk about pure e-commerce, that we're not just picking SKUs, we're picking SKUs and then we're advising people on artwork. And uh, then, of course, we've got these relationships with these larger Fortune 500 buyers who want to have that personal touch. And as, e- as important as e-commerce is, my question is, what does e-commerce look like in five years for this industry because I don't think it's going to be exactly the same as what we see with Amazon. I don't know what the answer is, but that, that, that's the question that I leave people with. Yeah, Dale, final words? Well, first of all, uh, I'm disappointed because this will be the lowest rated podcast you have because there wasn't enough conversation about social media on it and we all know that unless you talk about social media for at least 20 minutes and talk about how it's life changing, no one cares about anything else. So that's that's so that true. We won't get any hits on you guys. this. I um, hate those social media guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, just commenting on the, the book, is, I, I echo that, Mark. It isn't as simple as that. However, I would say we need to make the ordering process and suppliers need to make the ordering process that simple if we want to continue to compete uh, in the world because people will be buying. They're buying their ads that way today on Google, and that's how they, I think, will want to be buying some things from us. But we still have to have the relationship. I won't take that away. The last thought I would leave everybody with is with technology, there are so many choices out there. It really is a matter of being uh, choosy and practical. Don't get caught up in the hype, whether it's the cloud or the latest demo you see from an industry provider. Focus on what is valuable to you and, and do the basics right. Have a, have a good machine. Have a tablet. You need to have the iPad. Uh, you know, don't sit there and spend a million dollars on a new system. Uh, and, and I'll give a little bit of credit, Mark. You know, when I saw the common SKU product, it was just blatantly, brilliantly simple. And I was like, wow, why didn't I think of that? And the, the beauty is it was simple because it hides the complexity. And that's when you know you have a, a good product. Now, of course, it has to execute and has to work, but that's the yeah. kind of product people should be designing, and that's what people should be aspiring to use in their day-to-day activities. So whether they're using a PC or Mac, whatever makes their life simple and that they can take advantage of it with minimal training is what they should be using. Dale, I think that quote right there should be the front page of CommonSkew.com. Absolutely. What do you think? <laughs> it needs to be. It needs to be. All right, guys. Well, hey, guys, thank you so much. This has been one of my favorite podcasts. It's a rich conversation. I have a feeling we could go on for another hour, but we don't want to lose both listeners that we have. So we're just going to wrap up right now. Good talking to you guys. Nice chat. All right. Take care. Take care, guys. We'll do it again soon. All right. All right.